I'm back. Uh, we talked about a live show a couple weeks ago. I've talked to Shay at Arcadia. If you haven't been there recently, if you're in the Northwest Arkansas area, it's $5. All you can play retro arcade games. Super fun. Um, I've been there the last couple weekends, so I guess there's a chance you'll see me if you show up on a Saturday evening. Uh, but it's just a great atmosphere, a fun place to hang out, take your friends, take your family, uh, and just and Shay's a great guy, so I promise you'll have an amazing time. Um, I do also want to stop and say that we are a member of the Voice Press Network, so you can go to thevoicepress.com. You can find other finely curated, independently produced podcasts there as well. There's some great shows there, so be sure to do that. And then let's stop and say thank you to our patrons. So thank you, Kathy, Cindy, Brian, Chelsea, Jesse, Travis, Tyler, and Brian. Thank you guys and everybody else on Patreon for supporting us. You too can support for as little as a dollar a month. Just go to patreon.com forward slash look what I did. Another way you can support is by rating and reviewing on iTunes. So be sure to do that and just share this show with your friends. If there's an episode that you like, if there's a past show that you've really enjoyed, if if you know people that are looking for something new, be sure to tell them about the show. There's something for everybody here and it's family friendly content. So you can listen to it on the car, in the car, on a road trip with your family um, and, and really learn something new, get inspired and hopefully have a couple laughs as well. So this episode is Miss Jamie Lemons. Uh, she's a producer, which you already know if you looked at the title. Uh, but she was just incredibly warm, uh, really fun to talk to. I hope I get a chance to spend some more time chatting with her at some point in the future as well. Uh, super great person for sure. And um, so I think you'll enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, Miss Jamie Lemons, enjoy. <laughs> go ahead and start this but uh okay. it's it's good to finally connect with you because this has good been <laughs> our schedules were not aligning for a while mine is uh is an ever-changing um crazy i never know day to day it changes it, every day it's a lot of hurry up and wait <laughs> a lot a lot right. and a lot of um other people's schedules involved you know everybody's schedule changes everybody else's schedule it's just a, feels yep. like it's more so now than before the pandemic, I don't know. Well, probably everybody's kind of trying to race to like catch up and figure out how to get somewhat back to schedule maybe, maybe. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, I know that's been, I have a friend that's a writer and it's like COVID was just wreaked havoc with schedules and getting stuff done. I mean, productions are shutting down left and right now. Um, oh yeah, because of the, yeah. Well, I'm having that issue like, because I don't do that, but. yeah even with the stuff I have to do, it's like, well, are we actually going to fly and have this meeting? Are we doing it remote? Like, what are we? I, it's just, it's minute by minute. It seems like I just read another production shut down. It's it just, I think people just don't, we just don't have our heads around what the future looks like. And I, I think this hurry back to everything is maybe a little premature. Yeah. Well, I had scheduled a trip to Spain in October. State Department was like, we're not going to get your passport back to you. I mailed it in May. Might not get it back until after I was supposed to leave. It arrives in the mail today, but now I'm like, well, I don't even know if Spain's going to be open in October. If they want like, you to come, if they'll let yeah, you come. Yeah. I mean, How do I plan? I, like, I feel like I can't plan. <laughs> I think there is no planning right now. It's right? just, uh, it's, a, it's a lesson in surrendering, I guess. <laughs> oh, I like that. A lesson in surrendering. All right, so let's yeah. start with who you okay. are and what you do. Well, my name is Jamie Lemons, and I am a television film podcast producer. Oh, 
I didn't know you didn't dabble in the world of podcasts. You can give me it notes after, at the end. <laughs> just that, by the way, I was going to ask you for some tips. It just it's it's a brand new thing. Um, I have a company with um, my my business partner Laura Dern. It's an actress, an amazing producer, and we just signed a deal with Audible, and we are not skilled in the podcast world, so we are learning on the fly, learning on the job. We all are. It's yeah. still a growing field of. Uh, this is year four, but you still yeah. feel like every time you're like, "How does?" And I'm gonna call like, you. I'm gonna well, offline you. <laughs> I'm glad to meet you because I'm gonna need some help. Well, I'm we glad just, somebody uh, thinks I know what I'm doing. I'm just winging yeah. it over here. So <laughs> so are we. So are we. It's exciting, but um, but it truly is like a whole new, whole new thing to wrap your brain around in terms of storytelling and you know. There are a lot of crossovers, a lot of similarities, it seems, but but also not. So right. it's a it's exciting though. I mean, we're 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 down to we're down to clown. That I, that's and that's cool. That I think like uh, there's interest in the field, right? Because yeah. it's it is an I think a still young storytelling medium, and there's yeah. so much potential there. I've I've done a couple interviews recently where people have asked me like what's the future of podcasting? What's the thing we haven't done yet? And it's like, I don't like, I'm not cool. I'm not cool enough to figure that out. Like that's not Me either. <laughs> right. Like I was like, I don't know. Like my kid is going to come up and, and be the one that becomes the Nirvana of podcasting or yeah, whatever. Exactly. Right? Like, it will be the, it will be these uh, like, they're like, remember back in the day of like radio plays. But I, I think it is the, you know, a good story is a good story. However it's told. And, and this is a great opportunity to work with, writers we love and uh, you know we'll see we'll see what happens we're yeah we're excited I'm, to try it i'm curious how that because i think fiction in podcasting yeah has been hit and miss right like there's been some mm -hmm. that have been fantastic black tapes is a really good one yeah. and then other ones where it's like it is a radio play like it's just the 100 years yeah. after the fact right like i think we were just talking about the the biggest challenge for us and and we're gonna do we're gonna do narrative and and um you know, documentary stuff as well. But um, for narrative stuff, I, I think something that cinematically sounded is what we're aiming for. So, you know, something that holds your attention and feels like if you close your eyes, you're in the movie. Right. Um, that's what we want to achieve. I don't know if we will, but we're going to give it a shot. Yeah. No, that'll, that'll be... Well, I would love to talk to you about it more whenever you get further right. down that path. So, uh, but so I was thinking about this a lot. Like, I, I'm a big fan of movies and television, and you know, consume a lot of it, but also kind of dabbled in that field. Coming, you know, I did theater and whatever. But I think producing, when I was thinking about your story, you have one of those roles that, like, we see the name pop up on the screen, you see the title next to it. There's no direct path there. If I'm you know me it's like well there's not producer school like you don't go to auditions for producing right how can you just kind of high level like a what the role of a producer is and i'm pretty sure there's multiple versions of producing right um executive producer is a different <laughs> piece than something else but uh also like what your personal path was to that so that's probably the question i'm asked most frequently um right uh, like what is a producer? What do you do? Um, and it's different for every person. It really is um, the most undefinable, I, I think, role in in this industry. Um, 
like you said, there are so many different kinds and each each of those under under whatever umbrella that name is have different definitions for each person for each project but i guess you know from the 30,000 feet view of it um there are producers who who are who work in the world of finance and get movies made and get television shows made on a financial level um and that you know qualifies them to be called a producer and and they're essential. Um, that's not the kind of producer I am. Um, <laughs> you don't want me to balance your checkbook or mine, um, <laughs> or much less a movie or a budget right. of anybody else's money. Um, I'm essentially only a creative producer. And, and for me, in my particular job, that means finding material, finding IP, um, finding a writer to uh, to, to write the project, to adapt a piece of material, working with that writer every step of the way, giving notes, sort of overseeing the project from a creative standpoint right? to try to get it to the place we want it to be. And that's, that's called development. And, and that's um, the longest part of, of the producerial process. Um, so once we get a script to the place we want it to be, then I would be um, on set with the director helping you know, hire the director, helping cast, hire crew, um, finding the right connections of people and putting those people together to make the project and then overseeing things on set from a creative standpoint, just watching for, for the creative issues, but then also dealing with logistical things that arise on the day um, and then seeing something on from the production process into post-production, um, ha having a hand in that and then into the marketing of it into the release of it so it's really from the inception of a project through through the end you're sort of the person culmination. who's just sort of watching all of it happen and putting the right people together hopefully and being an ear and um for me that's what it looks like you know there are line producers and and their job is to hire crew um manage the budget manage the schedule um keep everything, you know, keep the train on the tracks every day. Again, that's not a world I want to be in or understand. I, I really respect those people and rely on really good ones to get me through it. But um, but that's not the kind of producer I am either. Yeah, so, you know, it's, um, it's, it's, but, you know, you could ask another producer the same question and get an entirely different answer. It's really sort of an amorphous job, but um, but for me, that's what it looks like. It's it's all different levels of herding cats, like hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, we're just you know just trying to keep all the clowns at the circus. So when like, do you are you looking for ideas or do you have ideas mm -hmm. like come to you right? Like an, an actor things. reads a script or an agent, and they bring it to you, and then or you're just always Absolutely. kind of looking for stuff. It constantly. I the the bulk of my job day to day is reading. Um, mm -hmm. I read incoming scripts constantly, um, but I'm also reading articles and books and um, uh, books before they're published to try to you know get in the mix because if there's a you know a book everyone wants, then you have to start the we we got to get this process and that is um, that's its own thing. Um, yeah, you know putting together a, a solid reason why we should be the ones to take that writer's piece of material and adapt it. And, you know, that's a bit of a, a horse race sometimes, which can be well, really exciting. 
And now you have books getting optioned before they're even published. Oh yeah, you have like, books getting optioned before they're written sometimes. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, that's, true. that's probably with I more mean, established authors, I hope. May, like, yeah, sometimes, <laughs> but um, I mean, you have Twitter threads getting optioned. My, uh, a good friend of mine um, named Jeremy O'Hara uh, has a movie out right now called Zola, and it was based on a, on a viral Twitter thread. And it's that's... now a fully formed, really good feature film. That's so, crazy. you know, an idea can come from anywhere. And, and we have people pitching us ideas all the time. And, um, you know, so we're, we're always looking. And then we're also a very small company. Mm -hmm. And we tend to fall in love quickly, um, which is good and bad because we are a small company. And we have approximately 30 projects in development right now. Oh. And that's a really big load for a company of, you know, two or three people. And... Oh um, yeah, that's a really small. It, it's, I mean, it's I don't really, know the average production size, but that seems small. I mean, we're small in terms of our company is called Jay Walker Pictures, and right. it's it's me and Laura um, and our colleague uh, Chris who works there. Um, we, um, that's sort of our core unit. Now, to say that we're doing it all on our own, it would not, right. would not be true. We have an agency that represents us really well, managers who represent us really, really well, and and then we partner with other companies. So. Um, you find support within each project in different right. ways, but it's still you know, a lot of balls in the air to, to juggle, and it, it's a lot, but we um, have a hard time turning things down that we think <laughs> is really good. Um, so we're, it's a real lesson that we're sort of having to learn as we go to really make hard decisions and not take too much on because then you're spread too thin and you can't give what each of those projects deserve. Um, you can't yeah. give enough of your time. Your, your bandwidth is so, um, so, so um, Thin. taxed yeah. that you wind up not being able to devote the kind of energy that, that things deserve. So that's a, that's a real growing um, pain for us right now in well, just trying to keep things float. And you don't want to backlog too much because no. it'll lose its relevance, right? Like if it comes out 10 years from now, it may not. 100%. And we actually have, we have a couple projects that we've had for about a decade um, yeah. that we still really believe in and, and really believe we can get there. And for whatever reason, um, they haven't found the right home or people at the home. Uh, you know, there's an, there are often regime changes at networks and... Um, <laughs> people who fell in love with one thing might not be it might not be for the new people so you know things are always constantly evolving and changing and um and then things are also in various stages of development like we have things now that are merely an idea we have some things that are fully formed scripts ready to go um and then we have everything in between so everything's at a different level so it's just always sort of managing what's right in front of you at the moment right do you, do you ever have an idea come across that like, it's really, really great, but it's not your, it's not, it's not for you, right? Like yes. songwriting happens, right? That happens yeah. a lot. Um, you have, do you just like, you have people in the industry that kind of pass that idea off to and. Um, yeah. I mean, I've m many times said, this is not, you know, this doesn't feel like a perfect fit for us or we have something in a similar territory. So it would feel kind of internally competitive um, right but here's you know this guy or this girl and you should give it to them you know we also get a lot of stuff for that I wouldn't pass it <laughs> this is mine and only mine <laughs> so, I read a lot of stuff and I'm like 
this is what you spent your time doing. Wow. Okay. That's okay. An interesting oh, choice. The other that, way. Yeah. 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 This will stop here. <laughs> yeah. This is going to, I mean, best uh, go with God. It's <laughs> not going to be, it's not going to be for us today. Do you just not respond to that? I've always like, no. I, I, I mean, try do you to send back be, like, yeah, I try to be respectful. Um, encouraging um i think you know it's the i think writing a script writing a great script to me is is the thing i admire the most i think it's the hardest thing in the world to do um so when it's great i I feel like it's just a miracle um and when it's not i still want to you know be respectful of the time the person put into it the commitment that they they put into it and know you know you know every time you get something it is someone's whole heart, usually. Yeah, yeah. If you're going to take the time to really do what it takes to write a script or um, a book, it, you, 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 I can't not respect at least their passion for it, their their love for it, and I try to put myself in their in their shoes and and think about how much it means to them to hear feedback from people. Um, so I try not to ever be dismissive, um, but in sometimes in the back of my mind, I'm like. I don't know, man. Maybe a new career. Good path. try, Head Pat. <laughs> yeah. Or what's maybe, the maybe. Southern saying? Bless their soul. God bless them. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah. Bless their heart. <laughs> well, you tried. Um, yeah. So I know that you and Laura basically just make Marvel Temple movies all the time. That's it. Uh, we're, yeah. we're just we're franchise people, um, and and just the money is really what it's about for us, right. as you yeah, can tell yeah. by the movies we make. We <laughs> we love big commercial. 10,000 A-list actors and or 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 some smaller more we might make independent things in documentaries and um do it because we love it (laughs) and so yeah and what like there was this period of time where there was this real fear that like the 20 30 million dollar movie was just going to disappear right there wasn't really anywhere for it to go but streaming is really kind of like cracked that wide back open um I don't know when your company started. I tend not to do a lot of research before I talk to people because I really like to learn with my audience like what this is and not come in with too much of a preconceived notion. But um, I'm assuming that's aided your ability to, to get stuff to market, right? Because there's more. Without question. More places And, and that's, that's applicable to any budget range, I think, right now. Right. Um, it, we're, being, we, we're being obviously very facetious when we were <laughs> saying that we did <laughs> a lot of Marvel movies. We definitely, right, right. Um, we definitely lean toward things that are a bit left of center. Um, maybe not the most um, commercially uh, minded people that you'll find in, in this business, but streaming has changed the game because you can, you know, there's an opportunity for everyone. Truly, if you have something that's great, it, you can find it at home. Um, because there's an endless amount of homes. Um, it's just, it's bananas. And that's true of hundred million dollar movies. And it's true of movies that are some great things being shot on iPhones right now that, that truly are theatrically great. Um, so there's no, there's no parameters anymore as creators, which is good, but there's also it's competition in a different way now. It used to be there was a finite amount of homes and you were fighting to just get one thing in on, onto a very small piece of real estate. And now the real estate has just exploded and 
um, it's competitive in a different way in that um, in that it it's sort of opened everything up to possibility and in some ways that's made that's made it even harder because there's more content to process there's more content to weed through to, to find and figure out you know there's just a lot more strategically um, strategic thinking that has to happen now with regard to what where is the right place for this does this feel like it's a film does this feel like it's something for HBO is this Hulu is this um, is this should this only be seen on a screen should this be for a streamer what's the difference between a movie now and a TV movie there's really not one anymore right yeah um, it's the notion of of what what is the right place for something is is wide open now and and that's kind of challenging but it's also really really fun and interesting and makes it makes every day even more exciting yeah because there's some stuff that clearly drops in buckets right like yeah. oh chernobyl makes sense on hbo max it sure. just does and um you know a kid film is going to do well at disney type thing but then you do have all these little those pg movies and the romantic comedies that can kind of go anywhere yeah right like and who's the best audience and partner how, how do exactly. you HBO is the only one I know of that has really started tackling companion podcasts with the material that they're putting out and they've tended to do it for the genre stuff. But, um, do you, do you think about those? Like, I'm sure you do how much that weighs in the periphery offering of that streaming service. Like Netflix doesn't seem to do that, right? They don't now, but it, tomorrow they might, I think that's changing all the time too. And, and for us, it might be something that's in the back of our minds, but it's not at all why we would do something. Um, for us, it's always just going to be, is this a story that we really believe that we need to tell, that we're the right people to tell, and that we want to give our whole lives to telling because right. it, it truly takes up your entire life. So for us, it's always just going to be about the story and then the other stuff that comes with that. If it's, you know, if it makes sense for it, great. Yeah. And, and if it doesn't, that's cool. And I think that's what's interesting is like I was talking to David a couple of weeks ago about something we've been talking about a little bit and he's really coming at it from this. How can I take this story and then break it into like tell elements of that in every medium, right? Yeah. Really use this story to its maximum. And I think what's cool in, in having the conversation between the two of you is there's not a right answer. Nobody's a hundred percent sure what's going to work. No. And it's kind of lightning in a bottle sometimes, right? Like, it is. It's the Wild West. It's, you know, it's it's day-to-day changing. Um, the, the medium's changing, the landscape's changing, and you either adapt and, and find your way in that or, you know, you, you might not get something made. Um, so it's just a it, – it's – a flexibility is is really is really, <laughs> really important um, to keep in the back of your mind. And sometimes I'm not the most flexible person, so it's, well, a, it's a lesson too. <laughs> you're probably more flexible than you give yourself credit for. I think that's. Uh, but I I think uh, you know the key when I think about I have more of a music background, and so when I think about it, like at the core of it, regardless of your ability to produce music in your home or whatever, if that core melody chord structure and lyrics if that story isn't there yeah it's not going to stick in the long run and i think that still remains true right that story has to resonate it it does for us i hope it does for everybody else um for us it's the only thing um 
if that if the core of the story and the reason that we want to tell it um, isn't there, then we cannot do it. We don't have the I, first of all, life's too short. I mean, right. we have a finite amount of time on this planet. So if you're not doing something that you love and truly believe in, then you know there's a there's a lot of nine to five jobs that you could do. Like why why put yourself through the uh, the this is a glamorous rock star business. life. That's what you do, right? Oh, yeah. Like... <laughs> if people can see me right now, thank God you're not recording this. Cause I know. Chris asked me like 20 times, like, are we using film? And I was like, I I'm promise like, she can see me, but I will not use it. <laughs> it's. I mean, but really, have you seen something more glamorous than what you're looking at right now? I mean, this is... you look great. Like, let's not like, uh, <laughs> you look relaxed, but you look great. Yeah. I think that's a... <laughs> I'm sitting up here like a music studio slash was a bedroom. So, I mean, it's, I'm going to make you pick up the banjo before this. Is over. Oh, you don't want that. That's the one I haven't <laughs> learned. That's just, that's hopes and dreams sitting in a corner. There you so go. That's, there you <laughs> go. Just keep my hope on the wall. Um, <laughs> so one thing that you said earlier that really got my, like, I think for the general audience, we think of directors as the kind of like end all be all of the vision of a film, right? Like that's Quentin, you just kind of have these like big names that stick in your head. But when you were talking through the process, you're kind of starting to pull all those pieces together. And really what I heard was that kind of the vision of the film starts with you. Like you start thinking about um, probably what director has the right tone for this and what actor would work in that role, right? Like, so you actually probably like, maybe they paint, but you put all the paint on the palette, so to speak. Like That's true sometimes. And, and sometimes you have an amazing director come to you with a project and say, this is, this, uh, this just feels like something that we should do together. And you're like, thank God. Yes. Um, and in that case, really, I feel like my role is to be as deferential to them as possible while still making sure it's a creative fit and feels like something that's representative of what we want our names to be on. Um, but when it's an amazing director, absolutely. That's the, they're the, they're the, um, the, the center point for everything. Um, particularly when it's someone like use Quentin as an example or someone right. like, um, uh, you know, any auteur filmmaker who really has a, a profound vision for what they want to do and you trust that already and know them and and believe in what they do then my job becomes infinitely easier yeah no that makes sense but you do like um you do have times where you're kind of pulling the pieces together yeah and starting to paint that which i like i hadn't really thought of that right like but it um do you have stories that sometimes just like it it as you're reading it, like it's very clear, I definitely want this director, I definitely want to try to get these actors, and how often are you able to successfully pull off your wish list? Really rarely, um, and when you do, it's the greatest day ever. Um, I say rarely because we're one company of a bazillion who are also coming after those directors who are, um, you know, super sought after so everyone has a full plate and everyone's juggling a million things and um but sometimes yeah you sometimes it, it's you read something and you're like like when we we made this documentary called the way i see it and um 
we talked about one director and we went and got her, um, this incredible director named Dawn Porter. And she was just absolutely the right person to tell the story. And thank God she responded to it and wanted to do it. And you know, without question, it was, it was Dawn all the way. Um, and so when that happens, it's really, it's, it's the best because you're like, oh, we're off to the races now. But then you also have the happy accidents. And I think this is where creativity really starts to happen. I don't, this may not be the case for you, but when, when you run up against the insurmountable blocker, right. And you have mm -hmm. to figure out a way around that. So I wanted this director, I wanted this actor, I can't get them. So now I'm looking for something else, but then that's when the magic like jaws, right? Like this mechanical yeah. jaw, like shark doesn't work. And all of a sudden we have one of the greatest like thriller movies ever made. Cause you never see the villain kind of thing. Um, that happy accident, like, uh, do you have an example of like one of those times where maybe it wasn't what you initially envisioned, but the end result was better than what you had thought of? Um, I don't know that I have an example with regard to a complete project, but I think those kinds of happy accidents happen on a daily basis almost in production. And it can be with every department. It, you know, you could be thinking, with the costumer, for example, like it's got to look like this, it's got to be exactly this. And then they bring this other thing that you've never seen before. And you're like, oh my gosh, why didn't we think of that? I, why am I even in this job? Why I hadn't <laughs> not created <laughs> enough to, to have that idea. And then they wear something that, that completely changes the whole tone of the character. I mean, I think those things happen all the time. And, and I think that's the magic of making television and film as opposed to writing a novel. I mean, right. the novelist has complete control from page one to the end. I mean, that's their thing. And Until the editor filmmaking comes in, is but... a, it's a, yeah, exactly, <laughs> on the whole. There's but always a boss. It, there's always a boss, but, but movies and TV are, it's the most collaborative art form. And every, you know, there's not an idea that you have or a script that you have that you envision when you read it. And it's exactly like that when you see it as a finished product because hundreds of people have a part to play and yeah. that changes things and morphs things every day, hopefully for the better. And um, so you, I think you bring up a good point too. Of it is super collaborative. Um, I work in a, a, a job that is extremely collaborative. A lot of people you have to get together are kind of on the same page. And part of our job is really, really arguing passionately for our view, right? Yeah. But then it's also being able to come to consensus. And so how do you know when you're right and you should keep fighting versus when maybe I should let this one go and just trust that other person when you're not a hundred percent sure? I mean, that happens all the time. Um, I think one of my biggest pet peeves about, um, about the notes process, for example, on, on a script when, you know, 10 people are involved in reading it and we're all going to give notes. And I think so often people feel like they have to say something to prove their, their worth validity, or, yeah. prove, or prove that they're working hard or whatever. And I, I just really believe that if you don't have something that you believe to be the right thing, uh, as a change or something that needs to be made better. I think sometimes it's okay to just keep your mouth shut and, and, <laughs> and let, and let the process play out. Um, but then nobody but will know you, I'm in the room. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I'm, I'm not worthy of being here unless I say something. And, and I think people get caught up in that a lot. Um, mm -hmm. 
and I love it when when people just trust um, trust the process and trust the the people that they're working with. Um, that said, when you yeah, when you feel like you're like you are committed to something being right and you believe in its ability to change the project for the better um, or to make the project more truthful, um, more honest, then, you know, I'll go down swinging. I mean, I might not, I might not win, but I'll, I'll make my, my voice heard for sure. Um, Yeah. But then, you know, at a certain point you do have to deflect to, um, you have to defer typically to the director. I mean, it's ultimately going to be their, their show, their movie. Um, Yeah. And, you know, at a certain point you, you, you say what you can say and then, and then hope for the best. I know uh, a piece of advice I was given a long time ago that I think really helps in those rooms is like, don't speak until you have something worth saying and then make sure it counts. Right. Yeah. Um, And I, that has, of course, then I started a podcast. So totally blew that (laughs) advice out of the water. Like just blabber all the time now, (laughs) but, but in those rooms, when you're having those conversations, like, I think there's a lot of value in just, if you say something that matters and it's germane, it's going to be remembered and listened to as opposed to being filtered out all the time. And I think to your point, a lot of times people will come in and just like, well, if, you know, if she doesn't hear my idea right now, I'm like, they're going to feel like I shouldn't be here or whatever. Exactly. It just can cause yeah. clutter, right? Like just Yeah, it noise. causes clutter. I think, and it comes from insecurity. And right. I mean, we all struggle with insecurity, but um, I think the longer you work in this business, the more... Um, the more you see that that you know time is such a precious um, asset that when you you have a finite amount of it, like just say something when it needs to be said, and then otherwise let's just make keep it the, worth let's it. Keep, let's keep it moving. <laughs> yeah. Which I should say, thanks for cutting out a chunk of the middle of your day to just hang out and chat with me. I know this hey, is probably not the best use of a Friday, day. but <laughs> no, this is great. Hopefully, a relaxing kickback time of Friday. I mean, so again, a... refer to the screen. Um, it's uh, it's pretty <laughs> relaxed over here. <laughs> not not any really intense meetings happening. <laughs> no. Um, so, like, you read for a living, right? Like, in mm-hmm. uh, maybe not all of it, obviously, but a good chunk of it. Oh yeah. So I always find it interesting when people do what I do for fun as a job, and yeah. immediately I start thinking, well, what do you do to relax? So what's like downtime for you? How do you kind of recharge the creative engine? Well, I do love to read. Um, and I sometimes feel really guilty when I'm reading for pleasure because I'm like, why am I reading this when I have a stack of 10 books that have not been cracked? And and it's a really hard um balance because I do really like to read and it is something that recharges me and makes me feel creative um but it's also hard sometimes to read for pleasure and not in the back of my mind always be working a little like hmm, I wonder if this could be something or what if this person took this and did something with it, I, it there's always but it's sort of hap- that happens with watching movies and tv too which I also love to do um there's a hard line to separate yourself from watching it as a producer thinking, oh, I would have done this, or oh, that guy's so great, let me write his name down, or who wrote this episode? Let's let me get samples on her on Monday, or there's just it's like your brain never turns off. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of exhausting um, in a way. So I don't know. I like to I play golf. Um, I like to play golf and I'm get outside. Terrible at golf. Oh, I'm we terrible got t- at it. I'm awful at it, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, okay. I grew up playing and and haven't gotten any better, so I guess I'm not going to, but um, 
you know, getting outside and playing with my dogs and just trying to get some fresh air. I think um, seeing the sun instead of uh, a screen is good. Yeah, it's um, I go camping. Like just my yeah, phone doesn't work. Just out. I don't love way. bugs, so I, winter camping. Not my winter camping. Winter camping. Okay. I don't know why I whispered to you across the country in a microphone, but nobody can see what just happened, but I literally whispered and covered my mouth into the microphone. But yeah, winter camping, there's no Winter bugs. camping, okay. Yeah. Um, I'll give it a shot. Um, and you know, I don't know, spending time with with real human people um, as opposed to, as again, opposed to screens or, um, you know, reading stuff, just getting out and um, being as social as possible, I think is important. Yeah. A little hard during the pandemic, but um, but yeah, just trying to divert as much as possible. But I'm really not good at it. If I'm being completely honest, I'm I'm always thinking about work. It's, it's not a great character off. trait, but it's um, but it's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, did so you were in Northwest Arkansas during the pandemic? Did, yeah. Did you like? grow up here at one point or you just had ties and this was a place to get to no so i'm from a tiny town in western arkansas called waldron yeah um which is about an hour south of fort smith that's where i grew up um and then my family isn't that where david's from that's how david and i know each other i was like that's how because i went i like drove in a car with him (laughs) and that's really when he and i first met (laughs) i knew about david and i I went to high school and college together so waldron produces two film movie like people aren't gonna believe ashley mcbride Oh. Ashley was born in Waldron. Also, wow, Waldron, like yeah. there's something in the water. Something, something in the water. And Waldron's probably, a pretty small town. Waldron's about 3,000 people, I think. Okay, yeah. Yeah. When we grew up there, it was, I think there's two stoplights now. There was one when we were there. <laughs> I love so, how that's a way of like measuring town sizes. Yeah. How many stoplights stop you, you got? Okay. I was driving um, through uh, Colorado Estes Park and somebody had yeah. like a mobile stoplight, just like tower. <laughs> and I was like, can you just. I'm going to drag one around and just set up stop signs or stop lights wherever I want. <laughs> like, there are a few places I'd like to really put one. Right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I grew up, uh, my whole family's here. And I still um, uh, would come back all the time as much as I can. Um, I love Arkansas. I love it so much. And one of the great joys, I hate to say, of the pandemic, because I know it's been really um, horrific for so many people, but one of the the great things for me was that I was able to go back and work remotely and uh, feel just as productive, if not more, than than being in LA, um, and still go back and forth as much as I can. Um, I really love it. So yeah. I, I think now I have so many so many colleagues that are all over the country, all over the world. Really, um, it it's truly changed the way we work. It's changed this industry. I think in a way that may not go back. And might do you think that's probably for the better oh like, i do yeah 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 i really do i think you know we i mentioned that documentary we were doing um and we were about three quarters of the way through shooting it when everything shut down so we had to finish a film um finish shooting we did zoom interviews and and finished up um the remaining um shooting days in the very early parts of the pandemic and then we did the entire post-production process remotely Usually you would, uh, like when you color correct a film, usually you would be sitting in uh, a huge screening room with your director and um, your DP and and editors. And we were never all in the same room. We worked with a 
we worked with a lab um, in London, and they sent us calibrated iPads so that we were all looking at the exact same Oh, thing. interesting and solve. We, yeah, and we color corrected from five different cities around the world, um, and, and it worked great. We were able to, you know, it was hard. It was a completely new experience for all of us, but it turned out fine. And so I think the way the industry has adapted has really given people the sort of freedom to sort of be wherever they want to be. And in some ways, quality of life has improved um, in a lot of ways because you don't feel like you have to be in L.A. and that you, you know, can only do three meetings today because it's going to take me two hours in traffic to get to this place. And it just it's rewired the way the way we think about um, our just day to day, I think. Yeah. And it, and it may also, I don't know if this is true, but offer the opportunity to work with like a different editor or maybe a composer oh, yeah. because now you're kind of looking potentially globally where before it might've been a little it's smaller. It's widened things up in a, a, in a big way. Yeah. So I think a lot of that will, will remain. I hope. I think that's one thing I've thought about a lot recently is like we have parameters we've kind of built for ourselves, whatever they are. So when, when the show was started, the promise was it would always be in person, right? Like yeah. just, we would always do it in person. And then COVID hit and it was like, uh, well, Can't do we that. pause the show? Do we keep, I'm, which I'm glad we didn't. Um, we're gonna have to do it remotely. And then that, but the positive side of that was, okay, like now we can get uh, Jimmy Duresta or we can get you or some other people that normally be harder to cross paths with and make things work. So there's this positive upside to it. And I think like, for me, the takeaway from the pandemic and some other things has been when those parameters get kind of broken, like is an opportunity to reimagine what new is going to look like and not yeah. be so like just kind of overwhelmed by the, well, I've lost my comfort zone. Right. Um, exactly. So yeah. the, the adaptability of it is great. I mean, you're, this feels like we're in person. I think we've yeah. all gotten so used to zoom and um, <laughs> right? so used to being on our screens. It just feels like we're, having an in-person conversation. It's definitely become a new skill, right? We've kind of yeah. learned the case because you have that like talk over each other problem with early Zoom adoption and then yeah. learn. And that's why I was like, well, we have video because without video, these interviews are tough. Right, <laughs> I bet they are, yeah. Yeah, because you can't read anything, right? Like we're, that's the one thing we lose is that like the body language is so yeah. much communication, right? So totally. But, but you are, you know, you're working in an, in an, an audio medium and, um, you seem, you seem to be pulling it off. Great. Well, thanks. It's a, you know, it's nobody sees what happens behind the screen. <laughs> Same <laughs> like the wizard of Oz. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, the other thing that I was thinking, I know I'm kind of jumping around a little bit, no, but fun. when we were talking about kind of like the, the smaller budget movies, right. Um, I, I think personally, some conversations I've had with people that you have a, a group of writers or a generation of writers that are, that are seeing that any story I want to tell potentially has a home, right? So mm -hmm. probably the breadth of things that are being received by producers like yourself is potentially grown. Do you, I think sometimes we feel like when the bar to entry lowers, um, that what we get is a bunch of trash, right? Like it's just, it's too easy for people to take photos. So it's a bunch of bad photos or it's too easy mm -hmm. for people to record. So it's a bunch of bad music. I kind of think, yeah, there's more to sift through, but there's actually more gems available now too, right? It may be harder to find. Has that been the case for you that you're really seeing some really creative, unique, different stories than you would have been seeing 10, 10 years ago? 
I, you know, it's hard to say because um, I think, you know, but I was in a different position 10 or 15 years ago. So I, I don't know how much of it has to do with, with the world of content opening up or how much it has to do with just building a career where people then come, you, you know, you're, you sort of make yourself known in whatever way you, you do and whatever, whatever. I don't, yeah, I mean, I don't even know that I'd say we have a brand, but, but I, I think, you know, in my case, I work with, with Laura, who has a, you know, particular reputation, a really good reputation for, you know, doing really high caliber material. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we're not going to be the first people you think of to, to bring like a teen horror comedy or um, although now boy do i have a story for you no <laughs> i'll call you after the, call you after the podcast i did not have a teen horror comedy <laughs> good because you will not find a home for it with me um so i think part of it for me is that um i'm very fortunate to work with her and um and i think people have a at least a general idea when they come to us what kind of things we're looking for um so, and, you know, it's, and that's not to say that everything um, that comes through the door would be a complete fit, even tonally. Sometimes it's really not. Sometimes I'm like, wow, you thought of us, huh? It's a, yeah. <laughs> an interesting choice. Um, uh, was it a teen horror comedy? <laughs> it was a teen horror comedy. Um, yeah, if I, I could, I could tell you, I, I won't because I don't, I don't know who will listen <laughs> to this, so I won't <laughs> name some of the things that have come. And sometimes when when things come, it, it really makes you stop for a second. <laughs> I'm not sure what made you think uh, of that. Wrong company. valley. Um. <laughs> yes. Um, but um, so, so I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know how much. Um, I I think. The, the amount of incoming material certainly has been on an uptick, and that's probably due to due to how many places there are to take things. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think the volume has turned up on the amount of material. But in terms of, you know, in terms of quality or something, I'm not, I, I, I'm not sure. Hard to say. Yeah. So I think the, I know we're kind of moving towards time, but I think one thing that's always – you know, as a kid, I really, really wanted to be an actor, and then I really wanted to be a rock star, and I really wanted to be a, I wanted to be all the things you aren't sure. most likely going to be, right? But there's also, like, it just kind of seems like luck for it to mm-hmm. happen. So I, if you could just take a few minutes and kind of, like, how did you, um, you know, my daughter really wants to be a musician, right? Like, that's she's 14 that's what she wants to do great what was just in a synopsis like the path from waldron to what (laughs) you're doing now a a very um i think uh odd one that there would have been no plan to do this i i think you know growing up in waldron i loved movies i loved tv i I knew it felt like a place that sure seemed like it'd be fun to work in, but there's no kid in Waldron, Arkansas that's going, I know exactly how I'm going to do that. This is my plan. This is my five-year plan. This is my 10-year plan. There is no, there's no way to make that plan regardless of where you're from. But I think particularly being from, you know, small town Arkansas, it's not something you're exposed to. It's not something that you see as a reality. For me, um, I went to um, I went to college um, 
and didn't really know what I wanted to do. In the back of my mind, I, I thought, I, I'll probably go to law school. Um, I wound I up dating opposite. an attorney. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I always loved politics, though, and I always loved um, that kind of stuff. But then I realized I actually liked watching stories about the law and politics more than the actual doing of it. Um, I dated an attorney once, and he seemed miserable. <laughs> he seemed, like he hated his life so much. Yeah. I thought, man, that's, if that's going to be my day-to-day, maybe I should rethink that. So um, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I graduated. And so, like so many people, bought a little more time and went to grad school um, and thought, maybe I'll figure it out by the time I finish this. Um, and I had a dual emphasis, in, one in political communication and one in television and film. And I thought, I'll just let me just try this out a little more. And the summer after my first year of grad school, um, I was looking for a summer gig, and a movie was going to be shot in Clarksville, Arkansas. I knew nothing about it. I just knew that they were holding um, interviews for jobs on the movie. And I thought, great, I'll go see if I can get an assistant gig. I'll fetch coffee or sweep the floors or whatever and just, you know, try to see if there's a, a path here. So I went for my interview, um, met with the director, and I thought the job was to be the director's assistant. And I thought, great, I'll be by the director's side. I'll right. learn all this stuff. This will be great. I got the job. As I'm walking out the door, they handed me software and a book on how to schedule a movie because I had been hired as the first assistant director. Uh. Uh, which is the most important job on set. <laughs> the person who is Seems like trusted with running the entire movie. What happened was, and I'm, again, I'm not gonna name any names, <laughs> not on my IMDB page, so you can't find it. Um, Fair enough. Is not is not seeable, but uh, let's just say it was a drug-fueled, um, personally funded movie by a person who just wanted to um, make a movie, I guess. And it was the most unsafe environment. It was the, one of the worst experiences of my life. You can ask David about it. I hired him to be the set photographer. Um, <laughs> I will text him later. <laughs> yep. Uh, within weeks, I found myself booking helicopters. I was in a helicopter hanging on to the cameraman so he wouldn't fall out while he was trying to get uh, a race car stunt being driven on the ground by David Holloway, who then became the stunt driver on the movie. Um, it was a horrific, nightmarish, awful yeah. experience that convinced me that working in movies would be the last place on earth I wanted to ever find myself. So I was like, great, going back to school, it's gonna be great. Um, but I had gotten to know the casting director of the movie who actually was a credible person and, and uh, someone who has a legitimate business and she was like don't give up give me one more shot let me <laughs> let me get you a job billy bob thornton is coming to arkansas to make a movie let me get you a job on that and you'll see you'll at least be able to see the difference between first of all a union and a non-union movie and <laughs> big difference um big difference and you'll get to work with professionals who know what they're doing i was like okay i'll i'll give it one more shot because i had a little more time before school started and um, it was a movie called Daddy and Them that Billy Bob wrote and directed and shot in central Arkansas. And it happened to star Billy Bob and Laura Dern. And um, we became 
the best of friends and had the best time um, working on it. It was a cast full of amazing actors. Um, Andy Griffith was on it. Oh, wow. um, Ben Affleck, Jamie Lee Curtis. How, I haven't even um, heard of this movie. Brenda Blevin. Well, there's a whole side story about that. It was a movie for Miramax, and Billy Bob and Harvey got in a fight over oh. it, and it was a whole thing, and it got shelved. Um, it's oh, out so there. It's, you can see it. Okay. It, it's Now it's out there. It got released like 10 years later just on streaming. But gotcha. Miramax fight, but um, whole other podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for a lot of reasons. <laughs> so many. Um, and I had the best time of my life. And by the end of the movie, they they were like, come on, you're not going back to school. You're moving to L.A. You're going to work for us. And I was like, okay. So I quit school and moved to L.A. immediately. I'd never been to L.A. when I moved there. Yeah. Um, And I worked for Billy Bob for a number of years. Um, Worked as Laura's assistant on a bunch of movies. Like I had just written um, a paper uh, in school on Robert Altman and... In the spring and that fall, I found myself on a Robert Altman movie. That's so cool. Just the most amazing experience of my life. And so I worked as their assistant for a number of years and then went and worked um, for other producers. I I did development at Courtney Cox's company right after she finished Friends and just sort of kept working my way up. And Laura and I always wanted to produce together, but back then we didn't really know what that meant. There weren't a lot of female-run companies. There was there weren't a lot of actors who were really doing it um, for anything more than like a vanity thing. They'd get a deal with a, a company or whatever. Right. Courtney was doing it. Reese was Reese Witherspoon was doing it. Um, Drew Barrymore was doing it. There were a few that were really taking it seriously, but there weren't a lot of examples of of how to do it. And so we just kept hoping to be able to do it. And then we. Um, uh, made the show called Enlightened on mm-hmm. on HBO, and yeah. from that point on, we were able to to like really focus on on this as a job, um, and and just went from there. So so yes, there was no straight path from Waldron to um, producing movies, but um, but if you want to do it, you can. Yeah, you know, I think that's the overriding lesson I've learned like there's no reason no matter where you're from no matter what your background is if you love something and and you want to do it there's you can do it and I think just saying yes right I have a friend that toured with a seal for like five world tours and we were talking about Mm -hmm. how that occurred and it was just like well I said yes to being the roadie then I said yes to playing guitar for a private party one night then I said yeah you know it was just like yeah I just said yes I just made myself available for the opportunity, took it yep. seriously, did my best, but always just said yes to that next step, right? Most of the people I know uh, don't have straight paths into this right. business at all, but the people that are successful at it are the ones that took getting coffee for whomever it was as the most serious job in the world. They're the ones that showed up earliest and the left left latest made themselves, made themselves entirely available and just, you know, worked harder than everybody else that's what it that's what it is really right. um, that's how you get noticed in this business that's how you get your next job um, people will take note if you're the one working really hard um, yeah. and they'll surely take note if you're not well and um, get along with people like the prima donna is people. not the person that's no. most often successful in any av- right like you said say yes be available work really hard when you get there and 
and you can find your way into it. Um, I get really bummed out when I hear people say, oh, it's, I could never do that. Or, you know, I've always wanted to, I've always wanted to write, but I'm too, I'm too afraid to do it. I, I mean, you know, like I said, we're here for such a short amount of time. If you're not doing what you love, yeah, you, you gotta, that's on you. Yeah. And it's never too late to start. It is never, never. too late to start. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I still might go to law school. <laughs> I mean, I guess if you want to punish yourself for reasons, I'm not sure. You seem very nice. I don't know why you do that to yourself. It's a, <laughs> I want to be super respectful of your time. So I try to finish every show with, uh, uh, successfully so far. Um, I'm going to start a sentence. You finish oh with whatever comes to mind. There's okay. no wrong answer. Okay. I wish Damn. I could. Sing like Adele. Ooh. I mean, I'm willing to let you try right now. I've got all the time in the world. <laughs> I just There's said a you that's can a do wish. anything, and I, I just proved myself wrong. <laughs> There's, it's never too late to try. No, it is an audio today. format, as you said. Nope. There is not tequila in this glass. <laughs> we can fix that problem. Mm. And I've got recording equipment. Look, I'll back you on banjo. No. You pick your favorite <laughs> uh, rolling or whatever the song rolling was. Rolling in the deep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then break we, out the rolling in the there, deep. We got it. We got it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I can't thank you enough. It's been an absolute delight. Um, you are so fun, Daniel. Thank you so much. And any time. Look What I Did is produced by Aaron Dotson and Daniel Quinn. Sound designed by Daniel Quinn. Our digital director is Heather Kelly. 